Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. We are here on a Saturday night, Father's Day weekend, Juneteenth. A lot of big things going down today. I, um, uh, I want to honor the dads. Uh, I want to honor the men of the house. Because uh, some of the most impactful people in my life are fathers in the faith. Uh, Bible says he's father to the fatherless. Um, so if you are a man in the house, you're a fellow in the house, will you stand up? We just want to pray for you. We want to honor you. We stand up. Come on. Don't be afraid. You're going to be standing up with a bunch of guys. Come on now. Big old clap. Big old clap. If you're at the ha- your house, go ahead and stand up. Stand up at your house. It's just, just so you can be in solidarity with us. Um, here's what I'd love as you stay standing. Uh, we just want to pray for you. If you're near uh, them, can you reach your hand uh, towards them? We just want to honor and celebrate. There's just something about the anointing that God gives the father of the house. You need to hear this real quick, that, that a man cannot replace a mom and a mom cannot replace a dad. We can do our best, but there's just something that God gives you as a man, the way that you speak life into your kids, the way you speak life into people. It's just a sword he gives you. And I'm going to pray this year that you swing it better than ever. And also that you have a little grace for yourself. One of my buddies, he's a dad, he said the biggest thing he struggles with is just forgiving himself. He always feels like he could do more. Man, have some grace for yourself this next season too. Does that sound good? So God, I thank you for the dads of the house. I thank you for the men of the house that are the ones that are really are carrying this mantle of what it means to uh, love a house well, to lead a house well. Uh, and the way that we lead well, Lord, you show that we serve well, that we die to ourself well. Lord, that we become servants. And so Lord, I pray that there would just be a mark of servanthood on this house. Lord, I thank you for every uh, man in this house. I pray that uh, there would be a new joy even in this next season. Lord, I pray for a new energy. Lord, I pray for great night rest. I pray for the father right now that has trouble sleeping. I pray that he would have a great night rest and great sleep in this next season. Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for the fellows of the house. Everybody said? Everybody said? Come on. Hey, uh, uh, I gave you two things, Dad. Here's your real presence. One, donuts for dads, free donuts, and then also no masks. I called Newsom. I set it up for you. I said, hey, I got Father's Day coming. I want no masks for my dads. And he's like, all right, Tyler. You got it, June 15th. So, uh, yeah, pull some strings, all right? I don't know how many churches that got no mass uh, for Father's Day, but that's what we did. We're taking credit for it. Um, if you're brand new, I'm Tyler. Uh, we are in a, a new series titled, What's the Big Deal? Everybody say, big deal. Come on, what's the big deal? Uh, started a couple weeks ago. Uh, Joe preached last week, killed it. Let's give it up for Joe. Come on now. Choose faith, choose faith. Um, and uh, it was phenomenal. And so I'm picking back up week two. La- uh, the first week I preached on prayer. And it was really birthed out of just, there are these subjects, topics, um, things that Jesus covers over and over again that he does not want us to forget. Not only wants us to forget, but he wants to add it to our life. I used an illustration of a remodel. We remodeled our house, talked about my good buddy Chris and how he came in and he said, hey, if you move that pillar, it's a big deal. You got, you got to keep this pillar because there are things that you cannot remove from the house. If you do, the house will crumble. So the whole thought in this series is simply this, is that there are pillars in the house that you don't have yet that God wants to add. That's why your life is crumbling right now. Uh, prayer would be one of them. Community would be one of them. The word of God would be one of them. The Holy Spirit. Things that you don't know, the, the vitality, the importance, ooh, God wants to put in your life. Let me, let me, let me take a little bent on this thought and let me say it this way. Um, God wants to change your always. He wants to remodel your life. He wants to change your always. Here's what I mean by that. If I interviewed people that knew you and I asked them this question, what's their always? What's, what's their always? Would they say they're always complaining? They're always hooping. 
If there's a basketball and there's a hoop, they're always hooping. They're always watching golf. They're always worried. They're always angry. What would they say your always is? Because Jesus wants to take your always worrying, you'll see in the Bible, and he wants to change to always praying. He said, why you got this always in your life? I want to get rid of that always of worrying, and I want to put an always praying. They can say, you know, she's always praying for me. How about these ones? Always complaining, always gossiping. He wants to replace the always complaining, always gossiping to, the Bible says, rejoice always. Always rejoice. And why is that person always celebrating? How amazing would it be if I asked people what you're always wearing? They're always like this. They're always celebrating things. They're always praying for me. They're always kind. There was a woman in the Bible, first Greek woman ever mentioned in the book of Acts. She had an always. I want to read it to you. Acts 9, 36. It says this. There was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek means Dorcas. Cold-blooded right there. Just cold-blooded. Uh, what's your name? Dorcas in Greek. You know, okay, anyways. Uh, she was always, everybody say always. She was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. When you start to hang out with Jesus, he's going to change your always. You're going you're, you're gonna, to you're gonna come into a season of your life. I'm going to skip ahead in my message. I'm just going to do it and then we'll pray. I'm going to say it again though. I'm going I'm to double down on it. I'm going to say it now, but then I'm going to preach on it later. Is that cool? We are statistically the saddest, most depressed we've ever been in all of the U.S. history. 14%. Because you all have the wrong always. If you're watching, you got the wrong always. Maybe this is all the 14% that's happy. I don't know. Forgive me. But statistically, we, are, we have more than our... Um, ancestor had way more everything. We're consumers. Ooh, but man, we're depressed. Man, we're unhappy. I mean, NBC News, Business Insider, one after another. Something's wrong. We're building wrong. Jesus wants to come into your life and remodel your life. And a year from now, or maybe even a few months from now, people might even say, man, you always used to complain and worry, but now you're always joyful and celebrating. May there be a remodel in your life. May, and may we see it with the way people talk about you. And one of those always, I believe, we're supposed to have in our life, it's, it's serving. Serving's a big deal to God. We, we, you want to change your unhappiness? You want to actually change your life? Who start serving. Uh, I'm going to show you three things about serving. I'm going to pray. It's this. Serving is a big deal. That's going to be my first point. Second point is serving is practical. Third one is serving is spiritual. Who's ready to get spiritual tonight? You ready to get spiritual? Okay, okay, settle down. It's a crazy crowd tonight. You're, you're scaring me, all right? Uh, will you... Will you it's the first time you actually laughed. Thank you. Um, will you. Will you bow your heads? Uh, Lord, we thank you for what you do in the house. I pray that my words will fall to the floor and that you're with the sore. God, you want to change us. Not because you're mad at us, but because you know there's so much for us. Lord, you don't love us living in darkness. You want to change us from darkness to always living in light. God, you don't want us to complain and gossip. You want us to celebrate and pray. So God, I pray there will be something that happens tonight, Lord, that we would see another thing that's a big deal to you like serving and it would become a big deal to us. Oh, transform us, Jesus. And may my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? First one, this is uh, serving's a big deal. It's a big deal. Turn your Bibles to Mark 10, Mark 10. First point, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna present my case to you how big of a deal serving is, okay? And if you are a brand new Christian, welcome to the house. If you've been serving the Lord for 30 years, 20 years, 10 years, oh, I got stuff for you too. Yeah, oh, oh, oh Tom, I've been a Christian for 25 years. I already know about serving. Move on to the next topic. Oh, no. Hey, I'm going to give you some new revelation. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you some stuff you've never, never seen before on serving. It's going to change your life. You ready? Mark 10. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. 
They replied, when you sit on the, your glorious throne, we want uh, to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right hand and the other on the left. Basically, Jesus, we get it. You're king of kings, Lord of lords, uh, Alpha Omega, Savior. We'll let you have the throne seat. But then there's two other seats we know about, and those are the best seats that I can get. It is I get the second best of everything, uh, the second most authority. Can we sit in those seats? Now, this question isn't that embarrassing if you've been a Christian for a few months. These guys have been walking and talking and serving with Jesus for three years. Can you imagine Jesus going, what do you want from me? Right now, if Jesus was sitting there talking to you, say, what do you want from me? Would you go, I want to sit at your right hand. You know, I want Jesus, I, I know I, I want to be in charge of the world and I want the second best of everything. Who would ask that? This is, this is so embarrassing for the disciples. Almost three years in, they're asking for power. It's a power grab. It's a, it's a, um, it's a stature grab. Or I, I, want, I want the house on the hill. And I want the, uh, the Bentley. And then I also want to be in charge of everybody when you're not around. Does that sound good? Jesus, literally, I, I just got a, I got a picture. He's, all right, I got to teach them something. They, they want to build differently. I need to change that always to a new always. They think that the secret to happiness, the secret to fulfillment is power, but actually it's through serving. Let, let me put it this way. Every Christian goes through the bottle phase. They go through the bottle phase. Not trying to trick you. It's like a baby with a bottle, Okay. I'll even show it to you. It's in Hebrews 5.12. It says this. You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Now, every season in the believer's life is vital. It's vital. You need your bottle season. But if you came over to my house today, my parents were just visiting last week. If you came to my house uh, last week, my mom was there and I was like, mom, bottle. And she brought me a bottle. It would look a little weird. Yes. What happens in the church is when only 20% statistically serves in the house. Did you know that? 20% serve. So a lot of Christians, I know serving's a big deal. Well, if they know it's a big deal, then why is it 20% only serving and 80% are still like, that's ah, not that big a deal. Jesus wants to graduate you from the bottle season. It, there, there's something about the church growing into what they're called to be. So, so let's just keep going. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering? I'm about to drink. Are you able to be baptized with baptism of suffering? I must be baptized with. Oh yes, they replied, we are able. The Jews told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Although this, Jesus doesn't rebuke their desire for greatness, but he does redirect their desire for greatness. Uh, greatness isn't a bad thing. It should be a church quality. Let's keep going. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in the world lorded over their people and officials fought their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Everybody say different. Come on, let's be different church. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Ooh, we're going to talk about that a lot today. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. My first point is serving is a big deal. I'm gonna give you five reasons why serving's a big deal. Ready for the first one? Serving is how you win in life. It's how you become a winner. Who's an achiever in the house on the Enneagram? Any achievers? Who likes to win in any board game? I am a terrorist when it comes to board games. My wife, people will leave and she'll be like, how I've never, the only time my wife yells at me is after board games. What kind of man did I marry? I can't believe, I, I high-fived her forehead one time. Because I, I was like, high-five, girl. 
And she's like, who high fives somebody's forehead? And when they left, I've never been more mad at you, Tyler. I'm like, I like winning. I love to win. Anybody else like to win? My people, my people. Who just doesn't care about winning? I'm gonna get to you in a second. We'll talk here. Okay, we'll take care of it. God needed you differently, but also beautifully, okay? Um, but I care about winning. And so it shows right here, and whoever wants to be first among you, he's talking about like, if you wanna have the best, you wanna have the best marriage, the, the best marriage, serve. You wanna win a marriage, start serving. You want your kids to actually become great kids, get them serving. You want the best life, start serving. He goes, if you want the first place, you want the creme de la creme. Because You guys think getting the top title makes you win in life. No, no, no. Becoming the greatest servant, that's what gets you first place. That's what makes you win in life. So that's the first. So that's a big deal to me. I want to win, okay? Second one is the way up is down. They're like, Lord, let us get up to the top. And that's where I know happiness is. And he said, no, no, the world thinks up is where happiness is, but actually the way up is to serve, to become the lowliest of these. The way up is down. Let me, let me keep going with this. The way to happiness is making other people happy. Statistically, we are dramatically more unhappy than our ancestors. 14% of Americans are happy. I talked about this. I told you to say it again, so I warned you. Um, and I had this thought, what percent does it have to get to in America where we'll try something else than consuming? It's at 14%. Like it's down from 31% in 2015. People get double down on consuming. Double down on position. Double down on, on money. Double down on fame. Did you know the next generation's number one job that they want is to be famous? 56% decided, you, 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 you asked the next generation, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an influencer. More than half of the young people think that is the goal in life. Be an influencer, but be a servant first. Just like anything else, it's okay to influence. But if that is your goal, you're not going to be happy. What, what percent? Four percent? Once we get to zero, maybe? Let's keep going. Sorry, I feel like I yelled at you. Um, serving brings change. The leaders among you. I, lo I love it. it says, this is how the leaders do it, but if you want to be a leader, serve. Leaders bring change. Who loves just... How do I say it this way? Says, who loves being in charge? Who loves... Who loves control? Yeah, my people. I've got a lot of these things. I like to win. I like to be in charge. It's interesting. We think the way to power is get to the top seat, but they actually did this article, top 20, 25 most influential people in the world. They weren't the most uh, rich people or more powerful people. They had this thing called influence. And if you think about people who have influence, they, they know how to serve people well. Influence is a whole different thing. You look at the book Acts, nobody had a title position in government, but the whole government was afraid of them because they had influence. So you're saying, you want to have the real power grab? Woo, it's through serving. You want to change, you want to turn the ship, you want to change the world? Man, go for serving. Uh, fourth one, serving is one of the biggest reasons he freed us. Let me read you a verse in uh, Titus 2.14. I'm almost done with this. Uh, he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us and to make us his very own people. Woo! Another translation said, he ransomed his life again. He ransomed, he died for us. Why? It says. So we would be his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. It just didn't free you to consume. He didn't die on a cross so you can consume. He died on a cross so you could actually be a servant. I'm going to double down on this 14% of America's unhappy. Um, 
too many people look at the world to satisfy them and think that's what the world's for. Let me, let me put it this way. Let's say you lived on a mountain. You literally lived on a mountain and then it just was water. And you wanted to play golf or you wanted to go on a jog. You couldn't do it and you would be mad at the mountain. You would kick the mountain. You would scream at the mountain, but it's not gonna change. It's a mountain. Mountain's like, I'm just being a mountain. My bad, didn't know you wanted to golf. Sorry, there's not a 500 yard par five on this mountain. Sorry you wanted to jog, you could climb. You can have amazing views on the mountain, but you can't run, you can't play golf. And what I think what happens with the world, if I could be honest, people are like, world, why aren't you satisfying me? World's like, I'm just the world, I'm not supposed to satisfy, I'm just doing my thing. Oh, but I thought you would say, but you're supposed to say, I thought I'm just so frustrated. Why am I so unhappy? World, fix it. World's like, that's not why I'm here. But I'll tell you why you're here. You're here to serve it. And if you actually see the world for what it is, it's not all satisfying. It's, but it can be leveraged. Oh, there's still great things to be enjoyed in, but it's not the thing that satisfies you. Is this making sense at all to you? That was a very sophisticated uh, illustration. Okay, let's keep going. I'm just kidding. Uh, serving is a mark of our freedom. Number five, I love this. Ransom in the Greek shows us that we are, uh, we're captives. So we were captives. So Jesus said, I'm gonna give my life to ransom you. So what were you captives to? Like we always like, you gotta answer that question. The three things that you'll see throughout, there's three things that you're captives to. You ready for this? First thing you're captive to is you're captive to yourself. Do you know it says that in times that we would be lovers of self? That's not a compliment. Now like, you know, I just love me some me. Got some great self-confidence, fantastic. No, it means that your, 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 um, your God would be your appetite. Whatever your flesh wanted, you would answer to. You're, you would be, if I just be honest, we are in a self-centered, self-absorbed, self-gratifying, self-promoting culture. Can we agree with this? And when you are self-absorbed, self-gratifying, self-self-self, you're easily offended, you're easily depressed because you think it's all about you. Jesus came to free you from yourself. Oh, he came to free you from those things. So, so a lot of you, Maybe watching, you're a captive to self right now and God wants to free you. That's why he died on the cross. Another thing he, he, uh, he came to say you're free for, he redeemed you, is simply this. He came to free you from idols, from idols. If I could go back to the illustration, if you just walked in your house, you'd be like, ooh, there's a lot of you in here. I, I had a buddy, it kind of freaked me out. I remember he's the only child. I walked in his house and his mom had pictures of him on every single wall. It was like, <laughs> you know, age two, whole wall. Age three, whole wall. It's like, it's way too much of you in here. Like a designer would have puked like 10 times over. And I feel like if Jesus came into your life, your house, and we're remodeling you, you'd be like, whoa, there's way too much of you. I'm the best designer. Can I, can, I, can I redesign in here? This is not the way. The second thing you would see is, ooh, there's some idols in the house. I want to free you some idols. Idols are simply this. Things that you think that you can't live without. The only thing you can't live without, Jesus. And until you get to that point, man, that idol is holding you captive. He came to set you free from that idol. No job. Doesn't matter how much you love your job and you think the job is the most important thing. Woo! If you could be released from that, watch what happens. And here's the thing I gotta tell Christians. You don't have to lose a job to prove to God. You just gotta fall in love with the Lord. It will change your perspective towards your job. Your kids, they're, they're the best, but they're not supposed to be worshiped. Oh, love them. But man, fall in love with the Lord. Last but not least, he came to set you free from shame. From shame. Everybody in their house has got stuff that they don't want you to see parts of their life they don't want you to see. When you get redeemed by the Lord and he saves you, you become this type of servant that you don't care what anybody knows your story because it's been redeemed. This is an amazing thing. There's five big reasons why he uh, redeemed us and why he saved us to serve. All right, uh, let me, I don't want to skip this. This is a big, big moment actually. Uh, why does he free you from shame? 
I think if some of you shared your stories more about what you've been through, because it's how we serve with it, do you know I used to struggle with this? And this is how I got out of it. Do you know our marriage was like this? And this is how we got out of it. The way that we serve people is we actually show them the shame that we conquered and how we conquered it. If we never actually share the, the things that we've been through, the valleys we've been through, we're not serving others. This is one of the reasons he freed us from those things so we can show people how to be freed from also. It's an amazing thing. Share your story. We all got junk. We all messed up. Y'all messed up. Let's keep going. Okay. Um, my last two points, I'm excited about this. Serving is practical and serving is spiritual. Here's what I mean practical. There's four things I'll show you that's practical. One is just start small. I'm gonna talk about that. I'm gonna talk about start in private. I'm gonna talk about start with what you have and then start uh, with who's in the room. So it's just practical. Serving's practical. Start small. Here's what I mean by start small. There's a guy in the Bible named David. Most covered person in the Bible right after Jesus. So we know about him, David and Goliath. He's actually the most famous king ever to live. Do you know that in the Bible, God promised that David would be the most famous king also? That's kind of cool. So in scripture, God says to David, because of what you've done, I promise that you'll be the most famous king ever to live. Ask anybody who the most famous king is. Sports talk about King David. David and Goliath, like David is the most famous. Why is he the most famous? Because God said he would be the most famous. I love that we have a God that when he says it, it happens. Anyways, let me keep going. So David is this um, uh, shepherd at the time. And we know the story of David and Goliath. Who loves the story of David and Goliath? It's a great story. A lot of the time, we don't talk about how he got to David and Goliath. David, to get to the David and Goliath story, he first had to be a pizza delivery man. He had to start small. So here's what I mean. His dad's like, oh, cheese and bread, bring it to your brothers. Basically, you're the Domino's man. You're making a pizza, charcuterie, whatever way you want to say it. Hey, 30 minutes or less. Yo, it's me, David. I'm here. Somebody order some uh, uh, cheese and bread. Uh, who wants the pepperoni pizza? Who wants the margarita? I'm here. D David. The David that we know is the most famous king ever started as a pizza delivery man. He started small. But the thing we fixated on is David conquering Goliath. And the problem with why we haven't conquered a lot of Goliaths in our own life and why we haven't conquered Goliaths out there is because we won't start small. Someone's like, give me my stone, I'll go slay Goliath. And God's like, I, don't, I can't give you a stone yet. I just need to give you some pizza. Can you go start small out there? reason why you can't slay the giants in your business right now is you can't start small. Just bring somebody a coffee. Be a barista for a second and just be kind. How about this? Offer your ear for five minutes to somebody. Ooh, the reason why we can't slay giants is because we can't deliver pizzas. If we could be a church that would start small and do small little things all the time. Ooh, oh, you know what? I was just out, I got you a drink. I was just out, I got you lunch. You know, I heard you say the other day that you love little flowers. I put a flower on your desk. Now, if you're a guy and the girl's single, be ready that you think you're hitting on her, so don't do that, but you, you get it, okay? Um, hey, girl, I was listening to you. I know you love this, so I got this for you. Be careful, okay? Um, but be attentive and start small. You wanna slay giants in your marriage? Don't try to go slay the giant with 100 roses. Start small with a sweet compliment. Start small with getting some coffee for your spouse. Start small with praying. Just keep, just keep delivering the pizza over and over again. And then when you deliver the pizza, one day God's gonna go, now's your moment, you can go slay Goliath. It, serving is so practical. Start, some people, a reason why I think only 20% of people serve uh, in the house, now don't get me wrong, there's three places you should serve, the Bible shows us, you should serve your house. Some of you are good at serving the church, but you're not good at serving your spouse. That's gonna stop. Um, so, so you're good at serving the house, but you, so you serve your home, home first because God's not asking you to, to do, it's actually a part of your DNA. Become a servant. 
So serving to serve. So serve your house, that's one. Then serve the church, that's, that's another one. You'll see that throughout scripture, that's a rhythm. And then serve the world. That's of course local. Like just, we'll start here and then we'll keep going. So those are three th- places we're supposed to serve. So a lot of people don't know the practicals. And like, I don't know, how do I serve the church? You can start small. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Just greet. And to be honest, that's not a small job here. 5% of pe- uh, uh, five minutes or less, people decide they're gonna come back. 90% of people. So maybe not greet, I'll talk to you. We'll think of something. <laughs> well, if you're kind, okay, let's keep on. Um, so start small. So that's the first practical thing. Second one is start in private, start in private. Joseph, we love the story. Joseph became the second in charge in the Bible. It's an amazing story about Joseph. You know, Joseph first started, he was serving the inmates before he was serving the emperor, uh, the, the Pharaoh, excuse me. We want to serve the big dogs, but we don't want to serve the ones that nobody sees. And so I think one of the ways that we could actually start taking back ground is if we had Christians that would just be willing to serve in private where nobody saw him. Joseph just was a servant, so that's what he did. And he served inmates. We actually have a ministry here that we go to the prisons. You should, uh, uh, Teresa, shout out to Teresa. She leads it. It's an amazing ministry. If we could be a church that wouldn't want to take the credit, but we would just be servants and we started serving in private, maybe we could actually serve the city a little bit different. Maybe we could serve the governor a little bit different. Tell them, hey, thank you for the mask for Father's Day. We appreciate it. We could serve this nation. Come on, uh, let's keep going. Uh, next one. Uh, so start, uh, start, in, uh, start small, start in private, very practical things of serving. Start with what you have, start with what you have. So another reason why I think people don't uh, serve is they don't know, well, what do I do or what do I have to give to serve? It's an amazing story in, in the Bible. Uh, it's the uh, story when Jesus comes to uh, ride on the donkey and he tells him, hey, this prophecy, of course, in Zechariah, I believe. And he goes, hey, go get me a, um, the donkey. Tell him it's for me. It's a young donkey. And uh, they'll know what I'm talking about, and they'll give it to us. So you know the story. Uh, the disciples go, and they go get the donkey. And, you know, hey, got to take the donkey. Hey, all good. It's for Jesus. Most high, I'll give it to him. Now, one of the things that we, we don't see in the response when he takes the donkey is this. Hey, you want the young? That donkey has zero miles. It says the donkey that's never been ridden. And, and if I could just be honest, start with what you have. And here's what I mean by that. A lot of us, reason why I don't start is we're trying to start from leftovers. Let, let me say it this way. I'm going to start once I have a little bit of bandwidth in my life. I'm going to start with once I actually, it can spill in. Your life will never spill into serving, by the way. On accident, like, you know, I was so busy and just one day I just started serving. It was crazy. It's not going to happen. But what happens is at this moment is the, the Tesla donkey, and then you got the Honda with 200,000 miles. So you got two donkeys. Jesus takes the best donkey. And there's no fight over it. It's, of course, I'm the servant of the Most High. Whatever he wants, he can have. I'll give him my best. The one with the nice rims. You know, this is an EV one. It's easy on, uh, easy on, the, um, on, the, uh, on the, what's it called? I can't think of the word right now. Uh, environment, thank you. It's a big word, environment. Winner. Um, environment. It's easy on the environment. Take the, take the one with no miles. The way that you become a servant is you start with what you have and what you have is your life. And that is something that's hard to give to God. It's hard to give him a Saturday night. It's hard to give him a Sunday morning. It's hard to give him a small group night. It's, it's just, it's hard. But if you can actually give him your best, whoo, watch what happens. You'll never spill into serving. Uh, for, uh, fourth one, uh, and last but not least, uh, start with what you have. Another practical thing is start with who's in the room. Start with who's in the room. One of the most powerful moments you'll see in the Bible, John 13, Luke 22, Matthew 26, it's when Jesus is at his last supper with his disciples. And 
they're arguing again who's gonna be the greatest. Again, devastating. Three years, Jesus is gonna die the next day, by the way. And they're fighting over who's gonna be the greatest among them. And if just so you know what they're fighting over, cultural context, they think they're starting a new government, basically. So they're fighting over, I'm gonna be secretary of state. And then, you know, Matthew comes in, no, you're not, Thomas, you'll be secretary, give me a coffee, you know. And Tom's like, no, oh, I'm, gonna be, I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be very important. I'm gonna be the greatest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really in charge, you know? And I was like, no, I'm gonna be secretary of defense, you know? And they're like, no, you're gonna be secretary of be quiet, you know, whatever. I mean, back and forth, they're fighting. And Jesus is in the room. And if I can just be honest, this is a disgusting display by the disciples. So he's in a room full of prideful hearts and dirty feet. What does he do? And if I can be honest, in this world, we're in a world full of people with prideful hearts and dirty feet. Now, let me, let, me, let me just give you some context for what Jesus is about to do. If you read in John 13, I encourage you to go read it uh, later on. But there's this moment where Jesus is washing Peter's feet and he is like, no, you can't do this. Uh, no, what are you doing? You shouldn't do this. Let me tell you why this is such a big deal. When you uh, would uh, host people at a party, people would come to your house at these times. And of course, because feet were dirty, they would have a servant or a slave wash your feet for you. They would contract that part out. They wouldn't do it themselves. They're hosts, they're rich. They're like, I'm not gonna wash your feet, I'm rich but I don't want you to have dirty feet in my house because I'm rich. So I have a indentured servant that maybe has to labor for me. So he's gonna wash everybody's feet. And so the norm would be, if you're gonna have a get together, you wash the feet. Now, what happens if you're like middle-class and you can't hire somebody to valet all the, all the feet, you know, uh, and, and wash all the feet? What do you do? Well, you would actually, as peers, you would get stuff together and you put it together and you wash feet and it would be a group activity, group project. The disciples are so prideful right now that nobody is willing to be the one that goes grabs the bowl of water because they're basically like, I'm gonna be the secretary of washed feet, I guess. So nobody's grabbing the bowl. Nobody's washed feet yet because they're fighting over who's the greatest. So Jesus just starts with who's in the room. He grabs a towel, he gets down, and he starts, it says, as an example to show them, he starts washing their feet. He takes the position of a slave. He shows them the lowliest of the lowly. All of them were fighting over just who would grab the basin. He's not gonna grab the basin. He's gonna grab the towel. He's gonna grab the feet and he's gonna wash their feet. There's something to be said about somebody who has such a great confidence in who God created him that no matter what they do, it doesn't make them feel less than. It makes them feel empowered to actually walk out what God's called for them. Start in the room with the smallest jobs. Start in the room and just start serving people. We, we have to have a culture like that. It's just, again, very practical ways how we can transform a, a room and transform a region. Let's keep going. So last but not least, serving is spiritual, spiritual. Luke 17, Luke 17. I'm gonna give you bonus content. Is that cool for Father's Day? Congrats, Dad. You're gonna be here for five more minutes. Here we go. Okay, um, it's gonna be a good one. We're almost done. One day Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations of sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting, it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. Goes on to say in Luke 17, if another believer sins, uh, sins rebuke that person, then if there's a repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, each time turns again, uh, turn, uh, time turns again and ask forgiveness, you must forgive. Sorry, that was a tongue twister. Uh, this is just bonus content real quick. It's just for the church. Um, two things Jesus is teaching this. One is we should do everything we can not to offend people. He's saying, woe to the person that causes the person to sin. What he's saying is, woe to the Christian that makes somebody who uh, doesn't want to be a Christian. You know why I don't want to go to church? That Christian right there. You know why I never walk in the house? That guy right there. He says, 
Do everything you can with the way you steward your life, the way you live, that when people know you, they would never, they don't use you for the reason why they don't go to church. Woe to that person, he says. That, that's it. So we got to do everything we can not to offend and hurt people. Second part is, he goes, but also, don't ever get offended from those other people, though. Be unoffendable. So don't offend anybody, but also be unoffendable. And I was like, man, that would actually be a great group of people to live in. Like, just like a, a community. Like, nobody's offendable. Everybody's seeking not to offend. Like, and I was like, oh, that's the kingdom. <laughs> I'm, I'm in. I'm down. It's called church. It's called a small group. But if we could be a church, oh, that would seek not to offend. Always be cautious of the way we are around people. We, we, we're gentle with them. Oh, what kind of church would we be? That's just bonus. Let's keep going. Uh, the apostle said to the Lord, show us uh, how to increase our faith. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would be, obey you. I've always under, uh, kind of got confused by that. Like, they're like, okay, Lord, you just told us never to offend anybody and to be unoffendable. Please increase our faith because that's gonna be impossible. And he goes, if you, if you had faith as small as a mustard seed, what he's saying is you already have some faith and what you have already is enough. I never saw that. I was, I was studying, I was like, so you're, start with what you have even with your faith. He's like, don't make excuses. I just don't have it. No, if you just have some faith, oh, it can work. Let's keep going. When a servant comes in from plowing, so here's where it gets good. This is where we're gonna talk about the servant. So, so this is Jesus. It's a parable. Parables are short stories, big truths, not allegories. So don't picture everything word for word. And here's what I mean by that. Um, when you read um, Lion, witch, and the wardrobe, that's an allegory. So allegorical, you, you see Aslan is the lion and, and that, he's supposed to be God. The, the, the witch is supposed to be Satan. So everybody, every character has a connection. That's an allegory. A parable, they're not trying to connect everything to one person. That's, it's just trying to share a story with a big truth. So sometimes you read these like, wow, God's really mean. He's not trying to show himself as mean. He's trying to show a big truth in the midst of this story. He's sharing some intense verbiage so you understand the spirit of serving. So let's just catch this parable. Let's look for the big truth in it. Ready? The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to the small bear tree, you may be uprooted and be planted in the seed. Let's go to verse seven. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Stop. And you read that, that's intense right there. He's like, hey, what kind of master after you get done working says, hey, come in, let's eat. I could, no. He says, now make me a meal. And after making a meal, what does he say? Oh, uh, thank you for, for making, no. He, there's no thank you from the master saying, oh, I'm so glad that you did this. I, you went above and beyond. So this parable is kind of interesting. It makes God look like he's ungrateful because that's why you're reading it as an allegory. Now let's read it as a parable with a big truth. He's saying a servant's attitude. The very is we should have an attitude of unworthy servants. Why would he use that verbiage? So a servant, the Greek word there would be servant or slave. It gets translated over and over again. And we, when we read about slavery in the Bible, we picture slavery that we had in America. But when you had, the slavery in America we had, you owned the person. And it was super dark, super evil. Slavery during biblical times is you own the labor, not the person. A person would owe you a debt and they couldn't pay you the debt. So they become this Greek word, an indentured servant. And they, they, there's two options for them. You could throw them in prison or they could work out the debt. And a kind person would be like, you can work out the debt, man. 
Come work in my field, work it off, all good. So you would be so grateful because you gotta be a servant in their house instead of a person just sent to prison. So the first picture we just see in this parable is simply this. God is showing us what's the two options? To be in prison or to be a son and daughter in the house. It's interesting when you see a kid who had nothing get adopted in a house. They don't have a I have to attitude. He, they have a I get to attitude. Let, let, me, uh, let, me, let me read you the next part because this is, this is where it all ties in. It's super powerful. This connects with it. It's the 10 healed of leprosy. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village there, 10 men were, uh, with leprosy stood at the distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw uh, that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Just like 20% of the church only serve. Didn't I, didn't I save all of them? But only 20% came back to actually serve my house? Let, let, let's see this correlation. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Our church isn't gonna be great because, you know what, Tyler told me I gotta serve. If I wanna be a winner, I better start serving. Tyler told me if I wanna change things, I better start serving. You know, the church gets great is when you actually look at your life and say, I get to serve the house because I was saved in the house. Church gets really good. I read, it was a Yahoo article. Three words that will change your life, that it hurts your mental psychology. I was like, ooh, what are these three words? Got me. And the timing of this week was perfect. It was changing the verbiage of what you do throughout the week from I get to, I mean, I have to, to I get to. I have to mow the lawn? No, I get to mow my lawn. I have a lawn to mow. Oh, I have to be in traffic? Oh, I get to be in traffic because I got a job. Oh, I have to serve? No, I get to serve the house because God saved me into the house. There's something to be said about believers. He said, didn't I heal 10? And only one through there. It's just a relational thing. John Newton wrote this. I, I hope this helps solidify and we'll be done. John Newton wrote a poem. He said this, our time in sin we wasted and fed upon the wind until his love we tasted, no comfort could, be, uh, could we find. But now we stand to witness his power and grace to you. May you perceive its fitness and call upon him too. Here's where it gets really good. Our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined apart no more. It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love him beyond measure and serve him with our all. Our pleasure and our duty, they were opposites before I got saved. Before I saw his goodness, before I saw his beauty, pleasure and serving were opposites. But when I saw his beauty and when I saw what he did to my life and what he poured into my life, they were opposite no more. Now I'm a servant. I love serving because he served me first. I don't serve because I have to. I serve because I get to. Our church is going to have a different spirit. It's spiritual. That's what he, serving is spiritual. My last point. That parable is, it's got to be a spiritual thing in your heart. I'm, I'm done after this, I promise. Mark 4, the first parable that he shares in uh, the Gospel of Mark, talks about seeds being thrown on soil. And if you know the story, there's 
thin soil, then there's, you know, uh, a rocky soil, birds coming up and grabbing the seed, grabbing the seed, and there's this soft soil where the seeds go and it multiplies 10 and 100 fold, more than ever could. And Jesus makes a statement that's always kind of fascinating because if you don't understand this parable, you won't understand any of the parables. Because Mark 4 is dealing with the heart. It's dealing with the spiritual. And so if you don't understand that the parable of the, un, the servant saying I'm unworthy is about the heart and about the spirit, God doesn't need you to serve in the house. He needs you to go grab a shovel or tear it down. God doesn't need that. He needs this to become a servant. He needs this to be transformed to understand Jesus saved me. He paid my debt. It was either prison or a son and daughter in the house. Man, I choose son and daughter. Anything I can do in the house, God, I'll do. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.